Greetings and welcome to the sixth episode of The Crane, an Africa-China podcast. In this episode, my co-host Amadeus Musumali and myself will be doing a short culture snippet, which we hope to do every few months. And the one we're going to be focusing on is the Mid-Autumn Festival, or in Chinese, I'm going to try to pronounce this, Chongqiujie. It's also called the Moon Festival or the Mooncake Festival, and it happens to be the second most important festival in China after the Chinese New Year, which um, some of you might know begins at the end of January in our calendar year or in the Western calendar year. We're hoping that we can discuss a little bit about this, but before we do, just a bit of context that, you know, I'm very interested in Chinese culture and Chinese history because it spans thousands and thousands of years. There are cultures, customs, traditions that they have managed to keep and hold on to despite, you know, uh, the hundred years of humiliation they experienced in the 1800s through imperialist conquest. But of course, It is a vast and very diverse uh, geography, landscape. Um, uh, They have a lot of different ethnicities and different cultural backgrounds. And so we're hoping to zone in on these every few episodes. So from food to art and music to science and technology to language and literature, the Chinese people have a hell of a lot to offer. And, you know, more of the Chinese culture is becoming familiar to the rest of the world, but that has mostly been through, you know, I would say predominantly, I don't know about you, Amadeus, but through Chinese food, I would say that was my first real uh, cultural exploration, as well as the Chinese zodiacs, which uh, for our listeners, if you want to understand a bit of our dynamic, I happen to be the year of the monkey, curious, playful, sometimes a bit of a trickster, and Amadeus happens to be the ox, (laughs) which is steadfast, hardworking, has his eyes on the prize. So we do compliment each other, I think, where, you know, sometimes I can lose a bit of focus. Uh, but I think I also draw out the playful side of Amadeus. I think so, too. But the other aspect I think that hopefully we'll be able to explore in future episodes uh, is whilst China has a very old ancient culture, during the Chinese Revolution, there was a lot of contention around how do they recreate the world, and therefore, how do they tackle the question of culture? And one of the famous historical moments was in 1942 in May, there was the Yan'an Forum, which was basically a meeting of intellectuals, artists, cultural workers coming from all over China, you know, during the Civil War to discuss what exactly is revolutionary culture and how can art and uh, cultural expressions serve the people. We actually have a great study of this at the Tricontinental Institute for Social Research called Go to Yunnan. I think it's called Culture and National Liberation. And it precisely looks at this moment and unpacks some of the ideas, such as um, how they were looking at what the role of the cultural worker should be. Should it be to, they called it, praise the bright? to glorify and, you know, hold up the deeds of the party and the people? Or should it be to expose the dark and point to what the problems are in Chinese society and within the movement at the time? Some of the discussions they also had was looking at the role and necessity of mass culture, people's culture, popular culture, and how to empower the predominant peasant society to be protagonists in their own lives and in their own story making and therefore in driving cultural expression. 
And of course, it had the political role of how do you transmit new ideas, but maybe using forms that are more familiar or welcome to the people, which uh, they called this new wine in old bottles. So, I mean, I think the moment that China is experiencing right now is this uh, interesting dynamic between how do we you know, keep the good from the old that really identifies Chinese people as Chinese, as well as think about how do they reimagine it. And we've seen this in the popularity of so-called red culture and red history, aka socialist and communist history. But that's just to give a bit of a a clip or a sense of some of the things that are going on, at least in our minds, when we approach the question of culture. And today, though, Amadeus, we're going to have a specific focus on the Mid-Autumn Festival, right? Yes. So the Mid-Autumn Festival is the uh, celebration um, or Thanksgiving uh, for the harvest, specifically the rice harvest, or primarily the rice harvest. And uh, it's there to give thanks and to encourage harvest-giving light to return again in the coming year. So nothing out of the ordinary there. Um, many cultures, I would say most cultures, especially most ancient cultures throughout the world, have some sort of um, harvest celebration um, to give thanks uh, for what has been grown during the year. Um, This is also very interesting uh, in terms of um, agriculture because China feeds 20% of the world's population with less than 10% of the arable land in the world, according to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization. That is incredible. So from uh, from 2003 to 2013, Chinese grain output just by itself increased by roughly 50%. That's from about 400 million tons per year to 600 million tons per year, all within the span of 10 years. President uh, Xi Jinping has a very interesting uh, quote Uh, that actually kind of sums up this uh, Chinese uh, self-reliance when it comes to agriculture. And that is that um, Chinese people should hold their rice bowls firmly in their own hands with grains mainly produced by themselves. And as an African, to me, that is fascinating. That is encouraging. And it's also a little bit frustrating because um, in contrast to China, Africa is severely food insecure. Just this year, the International Committee of the Red Cross estimates that 346 million people in Africa, that is like a quarter of the continent's population, faces food insecurity, which is completely and utterly unnecessary because Africa has 60% of the world's arable land, but only 40% of the African continent's total land area is under agricultural cultivation. But our agricultural labor productivity is 50% lower than global average. And 82% of farmers in Africa live in extreme poverty. McKinsey, the consulting firm, says that sub-Saharan Africa by itself will need eight times more fertilizer, six times uh, more improved seed, and at least eight billion US dollars of investment in basic storage, not including cold chain or horticulture or animal product kind of things, but just basic storage of grains, vegetables, etc. And as much as 65 billion US dollars of investment in irrigation 
to fulfill its agricultural promise. So compared to China and the food security that China enjoys, Africa has a long way to go and a lot to learn. And I personally feel we can learn a lot from China that has achieved so much in a relatively short span of time. Back to Mid-Autumn Festival. So Mid-Autumn Festival is celebrated across many Asian countries, including Singapore, Malaysia, and the Philippines. Uh, the festival is generally held on the 15th day of the eighth month of the Chinese lunar calendar. This corresponds generally to like mid-September to early October in the Western Gregorian calendar. So on the day of the uh, Mid-Autumn Festival, the uh, Chinese believe that the moon is at its brightest and fullest size and uh, that this tends to um, coincide with harvest time. Now, during the festival, lanterns of all sizes and shapes are carried around and displayed as symbolic beacons of light to light people's paths to prosperity and good fortune. People eat mooncakes, which is a, like a rich pastry, typically filled with like a sweet bean, egg yolk, meat or lotus seed paste. Uh, that are traditionally eaten during the festival. Uh, sounds very, very delicious. Uh, Mika, have you ever had some mooncake? Not yet, not as of yet. I think I did have one long, long time ago at a restaurant. Uh, it was delicious. So this is a kind of ancient um, celebration. Uh, some of its earliest mentions go back to um, 1046 to uh, 771 BCE. Um, and there are actually um, records that uh, go back um, to the Tang Dynasty in uh, 618, um, um, 907 kind of um, um, AD uh, that also mention the celebration. So we're not entirely sure when it started, but uh, it's quite an old festival. Um, it's based around the legend of Chang'i, the moon goddess in Chinese mythology, and it tells the story of her and um, her husband, uh, Hu Yi, and I'm sure I'm butchering that, so what? please forgive me. Which, it's a fascinating story as well. Like, I love mythology and learning about mythology because, you know, the story goes that Chang'e was married to Ho Yi, who Ho Yi was a really good archer. And he apparently, there used to be nine moons in the sky and he shot like eight suns. of them out of the sky. Or maybe there were 10 moons, 10 suns. I think it's... There were 10 suns in the yes, sky. Something like that. And, and he shot down the sun, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yes, there were 10 suns in the sky. He shot down nine of them. And so the, one of the goddesses, the celestial goddesses, gave him a gift of an immortal elixir. Basically, he could drink this elixir and become immortal. But he decided, no, I'm going to stay human. I'm going to stay with my my wife, who was Chang'e. But what's interesting is apparently there are different versions where, on the one hand, she's described as as being greedy and basically stealing the elixir because she drinks the elixir and becomes the goddess of the moon. But there are other versions of the story, I think slightly more feminist versions and uh, based on solidarity, where apparently uh, one of the people he worked with was trying to steal it. And so she had to drink it in order that he wouldn't steal it. So that's also, uh, I think, a fun little little thing that 
basically this person who became a goddess of the moon is also part of what's celebrated on this day. Indeed, and um, according to one version of the story I heard, uh, uh, Hu Yi um, actually... uh, on the day that uh, his wife ascended to become the goddess of the moon, um, brought out mooncakes because those were her favorite snack. And this was his way of showing her that he still thought of her, he missed her, and that he remembers her, which I think is quite romantic if you think about it. So definitely a fascinating story there. So this is a a special time um, for Chinese people, um, especially for family, because this is a time for family reunions. It's a little like the American Thanksgiving, where um, people... Except without the killing of... Native peoples and stealing their land, right? And uh, then pretending they don't exist. Um, No, completely different. But families get together to celebrate, um, you know, with dinners and lighting paper lanterns and eating mooncakes. And this is really um, a sentimental time where, you know, people... Traditionally, uh, the full moon is a symbol of family reunion in Chinese culture. And it's said, again, you know, I'm a, I'm a romantic, a little bit sentimental maybe, that the moon on the night of the mid-autumn festival is the brightest and most beautiful. And it's best enjoyed with your loved ones around you. Like, what's not to like there? Wow, we're, now we're going into a romantic R&B song over there. Uh, but what's also <laughs> interesting is that even though eating mooncakes and appreciating how large the moon is, which it is, you know, scientifically larger during that time of the year, there are also lesser known celebrations and rituals that are associated with the festival that date back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. And I just wanted to point out a couple of them, two, three of them that I thought were interesting. One is that there is an orange flower called the Osmanthus that's typically in bloom in Southeast China during September. And people will drink uh, a wine made of this flower as well as infuse their mooncakes with it. And the belief is that these flowers bloom due to the goddess Chang'e, um, who apparently sends people these you know, fresh orange flowers. The other one that I thought was interesting, which you wouldn't immediately think about, at least I didn't, is surfing is also associated with this uh time of the year because the gravitational power of the moon during that time which is every month at that time but the tidal uh, that happens in one of the areas Changtang is considered to be the largest in the world um where it can get you know tides can reach 10 meters high and low um and this occurs of course again every month but it's considered to be even bigger during the time of the mid-autumn festival so they They've attracted these tides, these waves have attracted crowds apparently since the 7th century. And there's some evidence of people riding the waves as far back as the Song Dynasty, which is 960 to 12,000 or 1,200. So ancient surfer bros used to like... Ancient (laughs) surfers. Used to like use this day as an excuse to... (laughs) Exactly. Catch some waves and have a great time. That's amazing. To catch some waves. (laughs) And then the last, which you'll like, since I'm getting the sense that you're a romantic, is that the festival is also a time apparently for finding a date. Because in Chinese folklore, the matchmaking god, the god of matchmaking, Yue Lao, takes the form of an old man and he appears in the moonlight holding the book of marriage. Uh, And in it, 
uh, he uses it to basically unite couples under the moon. And one of the traditions that people used to do, a, a very curious one, is called stealing moon vegetables, which apparently is predominantly practiced amongst the Dong ethnic group in Hunan province. And it basically involves a woman sneaking into the garden of the person she likes at night and picking the vegetables. Because according to the folklore, uh, you know, magical fairies from the moon would come to earth with the red threads that represent relationships and sprinkle ve vegetables with the sweet dew. So if you pick the vegetables from the garden and apparently you had to announce it, you had to announce and say, I've picked your vegetables. Why don't you come to my place and have some tea? Um, if you do that, apparently during the festival, you will find love and a hopefully a successful relationship. So that really stood out to me as well as a, a very interesting, uh, curious tradition that has been happening for a couple of hundreds of years. But aside from that, I'm a... That sounds a lot healthier than online dating. <laughs> A lot healthier than online dating. Um, although the aspect of going to someone's garden at night, it doesn't necessarily work the best for everyone. Uh, and especially because most of us don't have our own gardens when we're living in apartments. But I guess that's why we have to have a little herb garden on our balcony every now and then. So it's, I think this is a really interesting festival. Uh, we're hoping one day to be able to enjoy it in person, you know, when COVID restrictions have changed. Hopefully, Amadeus, we can take a trip in September of 2023. But more importantly, that I hope we will get to explore that in would be awesome. what I hope we can explore in future episodes and why I want us to explore more culture in future episodes is because there are a lot of very different things, but there are also a lot of common cultural norms that I think Africans share with Chinese, whether it's, you know, you mentioned the focus on family. Family is so central to most African cultures, especially the concept of a more extended family, which, you know, in China, you can have households that have three generations living in the same house and very different from the Western, you know, quote unquote, nuclear family um, and that kind of smaller uh, categorization of what family is, as well as things like, you know, food and making meals and making big decisions around eating is, or not about eating, but making big life decisions, business decisions, relationship decisions, whilst having a meal is very common to both Africans and Chinese people, as well as, I don't know, I'm sure Amadeus, you know this so well, that uh, in, in the global South, I would say largely in the global South, we have a form of politeness where, unlike in, I think, Western cultures, it's considered extremely polite to really inquire about people's lives. Even if you've just met them, you want to ask about the health of their marriage, the health of their family, the health of their crops. And I think that's something that's shared between the Chinese and African people. Indeed. I mean, I've definitely had extremely, um, what do you call them? Uh, DMCs, deep and meaningful conversations with strangers at the grocery store or at the, you know, on the bus when I'm taking a long travel, uh, when I'm in South Africa or Zimbabwe or Mozambique. So we're hoping we can explore more and find what's in common, but also be in interested in seeing what we have that's different. So that was us for today. We will catch you next time where we're hoping to shift back to some of the latest news, geopolitics, etc. So please like us, subscribe, follow us on Twitter. What else, Amadeus? Yes, please do follow us on social media. I'm at Dongsheng News. You'll find us on Twitter, 
on Telegram, on YouTube, and TikTok. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcast from. It really helps more people like you find this podcast and it helps us grow. As always, thank you for listening in. We appreciate you and tune in next time. Thank you.